welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard earned dollar. And lastly, the how how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. And I've got an amazing guest today, Joseph Cachapalia. And he is a real estate agent and investor in the San Antonio, Texas area. And really pumped to be able to have him on and uh, dig into what he does and his market and uh, this guy is our, is our hoot on social media. So Joseph, thanks again for uh, coming on today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So give our listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of what you do and uh, what you, what's going on in your world. Okay. Uh, currently, I'm the team leader at uh, of the investment team at PMI Birdie Properties. Uh, we're, you know, a, really a full service investor focused uh, real estate firm. I work as an agent um, selling typically anything residential investment properties. And that might be anything from a single family home that someone's going to use as an STR to uh, we max out somewhere around 25, 30, 40 units multifamily. Um, so sort of bridge, you know, that gap. I, I know a lot of people stop at five because, you know, things that's where it's technically commercial. Uh, but I find for clients and the, the service that we provide, it, it makes sense to, to go straight through there right up until you get to, you know, 25, 30 units. So we're just going to dig right into the markets right now sure. as a realtor working with investors. Um, you know, I have my own opinions on the markets. I've been talking about this for a while, but what are you seeing right now in the markets in terms of if I'm a, if I'm an investor, or I'm an aspiring home purchaser, mm-hmm. what can, what's, what can someone expect to see in this market? So, um, it's interesting. There's, you know, obviously rates are very high right now relative to what they were, you know, just a year ago. Although they're they're pretty close to what they were when I started investing back in 2005, um, and so that perspective I think helps a little bit. Um, you know, I think uh, over, historically since I've been here, most of what I've done is help investors buy properties. Over the last six to eight months, I've helped just as many exit as to purchase. I mean, right now uh, there's a lot of investors that are sitting on a lot of equity, and it makes sense for them to sell. You know, they they think that. Uh, Maybe they're not. Maybe their short-term view is that they're not going to get a whole bunch more appreciation. And you know, where San Antonio is really a growth market, people come here for rent growth and appreciation. Um, and so, a lot of investors have been cashing out right now. Uh, the people that are still buying, they're mostly switching to. Um, I, I've got really a couple of different sets of clients. I've got a set that uh, they're looking for a place to put their money. Um, you know, they're sort of high net worth, high income tech workers that are trying to buy something here. They might just buy fourplexes or duplexes, new construction. And a lot of them are buying all cash and they're not terribly concerned about their rent to price ratios. Uh, there's not a whole bunch of those people left today, but that's that's who had been buying right into uh, rates continuing to climb. And then the other side, we've done a whole bunch of short-term rentals lately. Uh, here in San Antonio, they still cash flow pretty well. Uh, you have to buy a big home with a pool, you know, four or five bedrooms. It's or something that's just really well located. 
Um, so those are, those are the two groups that are buying today. But I, I would say, you know, a good portion of my client base, they're, they're selling at the moment. You know, they're thinking that uh, there might be some better opportunities down the road. And so they're, they're going to sell some properties. Um, some of them are trading up. A lot of them aren't. Uh, the, the third opportunity that I've seen, and this is what I've been doing quite a bit of, or a little bit of personally, is um, buying properties and then all cash and then selling with owner financing. Um, that creates an opportunity today because you can get great, you know, you can get a good rate of return um, where you're not, uh, you know, it's a, a little bit different investment than than holding something that potentially is going to lose some value. Uh, I don't know that I'm really on that boat. I, I try to never make predictions. Um, I started in real estate. I bought my first property as an investment in 2005, but I, I really started trying to buy stuff uh, as far back as 2003 and started following mar markets. And what I've realized is it just doesn't make sense to try to predict what's going to happen. You know, you just have to react to what the market's giving you today, figure out where those deals are today um, and, you know, try to structure deals so that right now, I mean, I think that there's more downside risk in the, in the near term. And so looking at deals that are somehow protected from that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that would be really, really, uh, I think, helpful for listeners out there to maybe dig into an example or two on that. Um, and, and for the listeners out there that want to be able to find you on social media, where, where can they find you on social media? So the only social media I'm really active on is Twitter. Um, my, You can find me as jketchupalia on Twitter. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if you want me to spell that. Yeah, but it's, it's, yeah it's, they're, they're, they're going to see it on the... Uh, Okay. The episode, um, so. I, I spend a little bit of time on bigger pockets too. I think, you know, I used to get a ton of clients from there. Um, so that's, you know, just real estate, social media, I think of it as mm -hmm. um, on their forums. But um, I don't know. I, I, most of the time I try to just focus on one thing at a time. And so, so Twitter is, is really where I spend all my time. You know, Joseph Ketchapalia, if you search that, you'll find me on LinkedIn, you'll find me on Facebook. You know, I've got a YouTube page, although that's mostly just content about a shipping container home build that has gone terribly awry over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just my, I use my name everywhere and it's, it's relatively unique. There's two or three other Joseph Ketchapalias, but I wear yeah. the same shirt in most pictures. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm just so excited to have you on because, you know, I found, uh, we connected on, on Twitter and you're very active. And uh, I mentioned the hoot, like you just have a, a interesting way of looking at things that's very logical bring in your humor and sometimes call people on their bullshit i mean so it's just it's just a great mix i, I love following you and those who are out there that want to follow uh check it out um he's very active and does a good job of really kind of educating Thanks, and, i appreciate and, and whatnot that. yeah and and i, I want to save my question so I, I saw your posts a few posts recently about the the seller financing so i wanted to kind of reserve them for this time slot that we have okay. um so you mentioned buy cash and then seller finance it. And then also, you know, maybe as a hedge to minimize some downside uh, short-term risk, right? So can, right. can you unpack that a little bit and kind of explain more detail? What would be an example of something like that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've done this mostly with vacant land at this point, um, although I've got my first one that's a home that I'm trying to do. And I, I think, so there's, there's a couple... Um, there's definitely, it's, it's something that if you do it, you need to get an attorney involved. You need to check with your CPA. Um, there's, I've noticed there's different, you know, there's federal rules about it, but there's also different state laws that uh, this might not work everywhere. I know. So I've invested in several different states. I know if I did this in New Jersey, it would be 
more cumbersome than doing it here in Texas. Um, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a former attorney, so you're always going to get a disclaimer from me before, <laughs> before I give any advice, right? And I'm sorry about that. So, you know, a good example, I bought a piece of land and you can do this with really cheap lots. The first one I bought, I bought for $11,000, you know, little tiny lot. It was, um, you know, not the best part of town. It was zoned multifamily, but was so small, you could only put one unit on it. Um, it had sat, even I bought this a couple of years ago, it, you know, when it was really booming time still, but it had sat on the market for a long time because people didn't realize you could build on it. I mean, it looked like a parking space. Um, I actually have this, uh, this one, I think is my pin post on Twitter. So you can see pictures of it. Um, it is, you know, I just bought it all cash. I, I had negotiated. It would have been just listed higher, but it had been up there for so long. The listing was terrible. It didn't tell you what you could do with the site. Um, most people that called on the sign thought it was the yard, you know, the, the piece, the home next to it. And that this, they had just put the sign a little bit, you know, to the side of the yard, um, I bought that. That one I actually had held on to a little bit because, uh, you know, I didn't instantly list it because I had thought I was going to build a tiny home on it. Um, so I sort of backed into this accidentally. But this is my first one. And I think it's a, a good example of what anyone can really do, though. Uh, I got a uh, architect on Upwork to, to just put together renderings for it. I didn't do like full plans or anything, but something that fit on the lot that looked reasonable, um, which it was, you know, a small, a small home. Um, but I think it was a three, two listed it for sale and, you know, advertised that it was owner financing. I only wanted $5,000 down. I think that one I listed for, listed it for 25,000, um, asked for $5,000 down, you know, offered to hold a 10 year note, um, at 9% interest. And so the payment on it was like $230 or something. And I put that all in the listing. I put the rendering of what you could do there, made it clear that, you know, why the zoning allowed you to build on it. It looked like you couldn't. Um, and, you know, just started taking offers on it. And within that one, uh, within a week or two, and I think it I think it was hurt because it had been listed so many other times recently. Uh, but within a week or two, I started getting offers. Um, I settled on somebody paid me twenty three thousand dollars, gave me a five thousand dollar down payment. Uh, and made started making monthly payments. Um, the the title company had you know had in Texas we're really fortunate. Um, our forms have a there was a seller financing addendum that just comes with our forms. I know not not everywhere does the form you know do the form contracts have that, but Trek puts together one that's really straightforward. The title company did the paperwork for me. Um, you know. I had to come up with how I'd make my own monthly statements, but I just did that in Excel, you know, did a uh, um, amortization schedule. And so I send them, you know, every time they give me a payment, then I just send them an updated schedule that shows them wh what payments are received, what their principal balance is and all that. Uh, that one the, was bought by a builder who just wanted to not put all their cash down until they had a, uh, you know, their plans put together. So they paid me off. I want to say they only made, four or five payments and then they paid me off in full. And so because, you know, if, if I had held that to maturity because, you know, I'm getting a big premium for selling it with the owner financing. I mean, that's why people will pay. That's why I basically doubled it in a short period of time. Um, I think part of it's from my better marketing. Part of it is from the renderings, but I think the main thing is the, you know, low down payment, easy, 
easy monthly payment financing is what, you know, gets people to buy those. And, um, you know, even, uh, so by having him pay off early, it juiced my returns a ton. My, if you look at my IRR, uh, you know, it was over 80% on that one, where if he had held it for the 10 years, it was going to be like 26%, which I'm still very happy with that. Um, and I've, I've replicated that a few times now. Um, it's, but that, you know, in a nutshell is how it goes. Um, I think a couple of things that, you know, it is, you're basically, when you're holding that note, uh, you're, you're, you know, playing the role of a mortgage, mortgage servicer. Uh, I don't know if you, if you noticed, uh, I've, I've really done a little bit of everything in real estate and I did actually work as a servicer for six or seven months in 2009. It was all commercial loans, but so it, it sort of helped me, you know, understand, um, and it's something that you'll need to ask your attorney about is like, uh, collection rules and what I can and can't do. I do have one right now where he's, uh, he's late every month, but never to the point of default. Um, you know, and so it's, it's just like having a tenant so, or sort of like having a tenant where you, you know, they, you can get late payment, but every time I get to the point where he's late, I send him a text and he instantly deposits. So he just, you know, he just doesn't remember. And for some reason, the email doesn't get him, but whenever I text him, you know, it works. Uh, so I feel like in general, you get, you know, borrowers or they have more on the line than a tenant. So they're a little bit easier to collect from in my experience so far. Uh, but it is, you know, it, it's very passive. If he doesn't make a payment, I don't have a mortgage that I have to pay. I don't have taxes I have to pay or insurance. Um, and so that's that's one of the things I really like about the strategy is it, there's income, but there's no uh, associated expense on my side, right? So I could have all of my notes not pay and I just don't get paid that month, but I'm not, there's nobody that I have to turn around and pay, um, which makes it in my mind, a much lower risk um, opportunity, at least once you've, you know, once you've turned it into a note. And so for me, I really like this strategy because there's potential for really big returns by, because of the flipping part of it. Um, and you're taking a lot of risk in that short window. But once you get past that, you've locked in your returns and uh, there's always a spot, you know, there's always a situation where they could not pay and you have to take the property back and, you know, in an instance where property values have gone down, it could be a problem. Um, you know, a lot of things have to go wrong before you get there. And the other, the other thing that I like about it is you can survive forever, you know, in wait to foreclose, you know, you're not, you're not bleeding payments every month while you're waiting to take that property back. Um, I have a question so, for you. you. Know, oh, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I will ramble forever if you don't <laughs> stop me. So please feel free to jump in. So putting on my mortgage hat, so thinking if they do default, go past 30 mm -hmm. days late or whatever, yep. you know, on the mortgage side, they're going to ding you with a 30 day late on your credit because they pulled all your information, pulled your credit report, they have all, you know, all that stuff. So when you are doing this process up front, are you, do you have their social security information to be able to hit their credit if they're late? So I do have it. Uh, I didn't on my first one. I didn't, it wasn't like my first one, I really fell into it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it worked out and I've I've sort of gotten that process. But now I, I do have a buyer information form that I have them fill out. Um, I'm not currently doing a credit check or anything like that because of the nature of the properties. You know, they're not this isn't like a homeowner buying a piece of land, to live, you know, or be, buying a home to live on. Um, and so I'm looking at that they have some liquidity 
I think that's more important uh, for, you know, if they're going to try to execute a, a, the business plan of building on it sometime in the future. Uh, but I am, I realized when I, the first time I had to send out um, the 1098 interest statements that I needed everybody social. Uh, so I hadn't collected that up front. I didn't, I didn't think about it. Um, but so it is something I could certainly ding their credit. Uh, you know, the foreclosure process in, in Texas is uh, relatively short and easy, especially, you know, there's no sort of, you know, I'm, this isn't, there's no homestead protection or anything because I'm, I'm this is going to be vacant or so far it's all vacant land. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really worried too much about digging their credit. I mean, I think, honestly, I think if for most of them, I'd, I'd try to do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. I'd be like, Hey, I'll, let me give you a thousand bucks or a couple thousand bucks and take it back from you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very confident anything that I've sold so far that I could resell uh, probably for more than what, yeah. than what they've been over the last couple of years. That might not be true going forward. Um, although I think it will be because uh, you know, there's opportunities to get stuff super cheap right now for the sellers that aren't willing to carry um, they're just having to take pretty big discounts to move their land today. From a, from a property tax standpoint, that who's taking on the property taxes during that that time frame? The the, the, so the new buyer, right? The the buyer has to pay the property taxes. Okay. I have you know it's really easy where we are in our county to check on them and make sure that they're paid. Um, you, you know, one of them that I had this year, you know, hadn't paid by the deadline. I, again, I reminded him, and it, it was paid within a week. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to where I could go and pay those taxes um, and add them to their loan. Uh, yet your loan documents obviously have to give you that ability to do so. Um, and, you know, most of these are relatively, relatively cheap, um, although I've been slowly ratcheting up the, the price points. But um, so the taxes on them aren't a ton of money, you know, and so some of them are, you know, one of them. Like, like the one that was late and I was thinking, well, hey, it was only 800 bucks for the year, you know, so it's not not a lot of money. It would be easy for me to do that, tack it on if I had to. But, I, you know, I reminded him it was paid pretty shortly thereafter. Gotcha. So the the actual transfer of D, because, again, the listeners out there may not be very familiar with seller mm -hmm. financing or subject to right. um, the, the deed that actually transfers when. It So the. What I'm actually doing is it's a it's a real sale with a Vendi lien. And so when they it, it looks like a, a normal sale to the buyer, right? Like we, we do, you know, I list it on the MLS, it gets sold, we go to a title company. Uh the day of closing, they get a deed, but it has a reservation of uh, you know, it, it's called a uh, a Vendi's lien or, or a vendor's lien, sorry. Um, and so and then Part of that transaction, there's also a note that they sign, and there is a deed of trust here. And in a lot of places, it's actually going to be a mortgage. Um, and so those documents are all signed at closing. It's the paperwork looks just like if they used a regular mortgage, except that the deed itself references the vendor's lien. Um, oh. And and so they they own it, but it is you know subject to the lien that I you know I'm putting on it at closing. So skipping kind of to present day, you mm -hmm. mentioned maybe even doing one with a, with a home and not just land. Right. Um, but in this market right now, you know, the, what's, what's going to be available is going to be obviously probably different than what was available two years ago or three years ago right. or whatnot. 
Um, do you want to share like an example of the last deal you did in terms of price range and, you know, scope? Um, you don't have to, if you don't want to, I don't want to put you. Yeah. So the, like I have one that's in process and I don't, I don't really want to talk too much about that. It, it is also with someone on Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> there's a good chance they'll see this. If, if it says. Um, well, you know, I, I, I did one not too long ago. That was another small lot. Um, okay. And I think I think I told you a little bit about this. I am I find that uh, you know the the most and one of the one of the easiest steps towards asset protection is anonymity and uh, you know remaining anonymous. And obviously, I don't do that. I put my own personal stuff out there. But so what I do is I try to only pick a few transactions that I talk about quite a bit. Um, and like I've never you know I never disclose like my assets under management or doors. Yeah. Or, I, you know, I used to get really into that. And when I first started and, uh, you know, I, I was all proud of like when I hit 14 doors when I was like, I don't know, two or three years in. And and I realized like it's it's just a, to me, uh, I don't want people to know, <laughs> you know. And so so now I, I really try to pick like a couple at a time that I'll, that I'll talk about. Um, obviously, that first land deal, I think, was a good one because, uh, you know, I really fell into it accidentally. Um, another one that I, you know, and I have shared this, but it's it's more recent. Um, it was another small piece of land I bought. It had been listed, and this was uh, this was actually um, it was still last year, so not in the last few months. Um, the only one I have going on that's really current is is one that's a home. Um, but uh, the um, you know, I, I, it was another one that was it was just a strange lot. It was a triangular lot. Uh, with it, it was a triangular lot with a deed restriction that gave it like a huge setback. Like it was a 35 foot setback. And when you do oh, that wow. on a triangle, uh, it seemed like you just couldn't build anything. I mean, I, I, I actually spent uh, time with an architect on that one and he made a really cool, like, uh, shit, you know, it wasn't a triangular building, but it was like with a big truck or a big rectangle and then a smaller square to sort of fit into it. And it was two stories. And even with all, with doing that, uh, you know, we were, it was still less than 1500 square feet. So it was a pretty small home that you could fit on it. Um, it had been listed from an out of state agent that, uh, honestly, the listing just looked like a scam. Like it was the, the, uh, you know, the title company they were trying to use, they actually just mistyped what it was. And it basically made it look like they were trying to make you just send money to like some weird company that wasn't a title company. And it was just, they put the wrong thing in there. Yeah. Um, but so even though, you know, land was still selling pretty good at that time, I mean, it wasn't amazing. Uh, that, that one sat and it was super, you know, they had offered asking, I think 22,000. So, I mean, these are all, you know, I'm trying to do a lot of little lots. I think getting, you know, gives you um, a lot of diversification, right? If you can just do a bunch of little ones and they're easy. Um, but uh, anyway, I got that under contract. I think I had negotiated like they they really, you know, liked what they had, even though their listing was terrible. Um, and I got it under contract for like twenty one thousand. Um, and then uh, as time went on, that one actually the closing got pushed back a few times because there were there were a couple issues that came up in title. Um, it wasn't until then, actually, that. Uh, the the how far the setback there was some discrepancy of whether it was a 35 foot setback or, or 20 
And so once we got to the part in the title where we really like were looking at that easement uh, and realized how big it was, you know, I went back and renegotiated another four thousand dollars off. We bought that for seventeen. I say we. I don't know why. It's it's my company, but I'm the only owner. Right. Um, I'm so used to saying we because at, at my agent job, you know, it's me, and then we have the management team and everything like that. Um, but so that one uh, ended up closing it at seventeen thousand. That one had like some, you know, I had to remove some trash and pulled some brush out and stuff to make it look a little bit nicer. I did. I had paid an architect to make, you know, what I thought ended up being like a really cool little home that would fit on there. Um, and then uh, I had offers within a couple of days on that one. I sold it for thirty five thousand with five thousand down. Um, you and, know, you, and you owned it how long? I mean, from the time it closed until I listed it, it was probably two weeks because I spent some money to get it cleaned up. Yeah. Um yeah. So, I mean, like I, it was a double and just to cut, you know, just a hundred percent because of the financing, the guy who bought it for me, I actually talked to him and he had thought about buying it at when I bought it, but he didn't have, you know, $22,000 to spend on it. Um, but he had 5,000 to put down and then he's paying me it's like 380 bucks a month or something is, you know, the, the fully amortizing payment. So if he holds that to maturity, it's, it's somewhere in a mid teens return. Um, but if he pays it off early, it's, you know, it's a, it's a double on, on what I paid for it. Um, and you know, one of the things too, if I, if I wanted to be a little more transactional about it, since I've started creating notes, there's a whole bunch of companies that like cold call me and send me direct mail about wanting to buy my notes. Uh, I haven't gone down that path yet, but I, I'm sure that, uh, at some point I will. And, um, it seems to me that when, you know, where my, all you know, all in on that seventeen thousand dollar one. It was I had less than twenty thousand into it and sold it for thirty five. Have a thirty thousand dollar note. I could probably sell that as a discount and and get more cash out of it. But for me, I'm trying to create these you know these income streams that are. Um, I don't think there's anything more passive than just you know except for sometimes I got to text the guy and remind him. Um, but you know it's it's a great income stream for a small amount of money, right? Like I put less than $20,000 down and I'm getting $380 a month in pure cash flow. You know, some of that is paying back the principal and some of that's interest. Um, so, the, you know, the tax treatment isn't as great, but, um, you know, these little deals just make a ton of sense. I think as a, the, the bigger one with the home that I'm doing, obviously I'm not getting doubles on those, um, but it is a, a pretty good premium for providing the financing. Um, it's one that will I'll be selling. They're, they're, I'm hesitant to get too far down that road because there's, um, you know, there's a lot more consumer protections that just make more hoops to jump through when you're selling a home to a homeowner. So like that one is one that's being sold to an investor who's going to use it as a short term rental. Um, can I stop you real so, quick? Yeah, yeah, go right ahead. So one of the things you know that's going through my brain is, you know geographically speaking in San Antonio, right? You've got several military bases in, in the area, uh, Lackland, I do believe, Lackland? Yeah, we've got uh, Lackland, Randolph, uh, you know, Fort Sam Houston, Camp Bullis is by, yeah, tons of tons of military. 11% veterans here versus 11%. like seven in Texas. What, what quadrant are some of these land deals you're picking up? So um, they are... Almost all either uh, just east of downtown or just west of downtown. Okay. Um, so 
Um, yeah, I mean, almost all. And so there's, you know, we have a lot of flood zones where some of the cheapest stuff is. So like you'll see a lot of like fifteen and twenty thousand dollar lots that I just won't touch because they're in a flood zone. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even though I've gotten a couple really cheap ones, you know, I've I've bought ones for forty or you know forty or fifty like that's, but it's pretty easy to find them in that you know sub fifty range. And I find that's where buyers are more likely to need financing then when you get up to you know if, if uh, you know I sold some lots for clients that are like you know $180,000 and you can find a bank that's going to finance those for you but if you have these like sub 50 ones um you know most of the people that want to buy those you know either they don't have great banking relationships or the banks just don't want to make these little loans especially for someone who's buying it and doesn't have the plan to develop it just yet yeah i mean that's something that you know, me personally, that's something that we're going through right now. Um, on, on the commercial lending side, we've got a plot of land in Florida um, mm -hmm. that, you know, we're waiting on some utilities to go in and, you know, restructuring financing. And a lot of banks don't want to touch land. They they want something that's, right. you know, shovel ready within 60 days. And so a lot of companies are just not offering what they used to a couple of years back. Um, the, the building process, and maybe, you know, some insights, maybe you don't, but from you know, the, what you've seen, someone purchases a plot of land, let's say they have a pretty good idea what they want to build, just say it's a mm -hmm. single family house. Uh, what kind of expectation would somebody have to be able to get it from purchase to plans and specs to getting it approved with the county and then getting it built? So um, if it's their first one, I'd count on it taking a long time. Uh, my first ground up build here in San Antonio has been uh it's about to be done and it's been a two-year project. It was made out of shipping container homes and it's on an irregular lot. And so that definitely added a lot of time. Um, but I know another young developer who's working on his fourth or fifth home where his first one he built uh, downtown or very close to the area where I'm selling these lots. Um, and it took him 18 months from the time he closed on it to build. And, you know, I, I feel like he really had his stuff together. He thought he really knew what was going on. And so um, it is, you know, obviously if you hire an experienced builder to build on the lot for you, it's one thing, but if you're like going to actually go out and hire the contractors and you're sort of acting as the builder, um, it is, uh, it's a little, it's a little bit tough to navigate with the city, right? I mean, there's, um, they, they definitely are helpful. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think, Part of it also, like my experience is that, uh, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not somebody who goes out and hires the, the most expensive contractors. And so, uh, you know, I, I've had some in the past that really just screwed things up. And, you know, and, and so uh, but I'll always blame the city. And so sometimes it's tough to know really what the problem is. Um, but I also think this, you know, all all of my building experience here in San Antonio has been since COVID happened. And so, uh, you know, the, the city office was shut down for a while. They were all working from home and that slowed things down quite a bit. It also, you know, created issues with uh, materials and labor. Um, I think going forward, you, you, I don't think that two years is a normal amount of time. And I don't even think 18 months is. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to have it done in three or four months or something like that, which yeah. is 
what my first contractor on my container home was telling me, you know, we can get this done between three and six months. Uh, and that was, you know, a couple of years ago at this point. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, there, there, like you mentioned before, there's some people with equity, right. That may be exiting mm -hmm. a position and not trying to figure out what to do with it. And many people are they're just going to be sitting and waiting and, right. and waiting to see what happens with the markets. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about, you know, the markets that are, getting pre-approved or clients or investors. And, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of things that just don't always make sense. Like in 08, 09, you know, mm -hmm. it all made sense. Banks made shitty loans. They blew up. People couldn't afford right. their arms payments and things, uh, you know, fell to the ground. Right. It all made sense. Right now, you know, you've got inflation, you've got home prices going up, you've got rates going up, you've got no inventory. Um, all kinds of buyers are being, you know, kind of pushed out of affordability because they can't afford the payments. You know, you got people sitting on, on homes that maybe I, I want to sell, maybe I want to upgrade or downgrade, you know, to a lower, a lower size home, but I got a 3% rate. And if I, if I go from 700 to 400, my payment's going to be the, the exact same because rates are higher, like whatever. Right. There's just right. a lot of weird dynamics going on. And this, you know, just putting people in a lot of uncertainty what to do. And, um, you know, in your market specifically, from an inventory and then prices standpoint, how are things right now as, as opposed to a year ago or five years ago, whatever? So we have a lot more inventory than a year ago, um, but we are still at least. So the way I, you know, I have a I have a search that I pull up every day that shows, um, you know, how many are available. It's it, it's got some filters, but so. In 2018, 19, when I would pull that up, it would almost always have about 10,000 homes. Um, when I pulled it up this morning, it had uh, like 8,600. So we're still, you know, that by that measure, about 14% down. Um, I, I don't actually look at a lot of the stuff that gets posted. I, I like to just pull my stuff in the MLS and pay attention to those numbers. And so I know we're still, you know, from numbers I've heard from other people, you know, closer to 20% down, but from the inventory I care about, it looks like we're about still 14 or 15% down from, you know, from pre 2020. Um, but we're more than double what we had a year ago at this time. Um, it is, you, you know, we, like I said, we're, I'm still listing quite a bit and my team is as well. And stuff is just selling like it sells to, you know, there's a lot of first time home buyers buying the stuff that I think of as investor type stock. Um, you know, like I, Recently, like last week, I closed on a home, uh, 192.5 is what it ended up selling for. Um, we had It was one I had listed at 200,000, had a, several offers the first day. Uh, we ended up, you know, it got negotiated down because it, you know, we had a, actually pretty, pretty serious issues with it. Um, but, you know, in that price range, there was just a, there's a ton of, um, a ton of demand, but it's all the people that, it's almost all FHA loans, VA loans, people that couldn't buy properties last year and the year before because there were so many cash buyers. It seems like those are the people that are out just buying stuff now. I mean, one of one of my uh, one of the agents on my team listed a property um, last Friday, and it, it was under contract. She got two offers the day it was listed. Like the first two people that viewed it both put in offers. Uh, you know, it was under contract within two days, and um, over the asking price. Uh, and it's, uh, 
you know, it's it's in the high twos, right? So like anything under our median is in the low threes. And so anything under our median is there's still a lot of demand, especially when you get down into the low twos and any anything under two, if it's in a, you know, we don't have a lot that's under two anymore that's in an area um, that gets a ton of owner occupants. Um, but that stuff's moving fast. And then the other thing, so because we still have a lot of out-of-state investors coming here for short-term rentals. And so, and we we work with a lot of clients looking at those too. And the stuff that's like four or five bedrooms with a pool, uh, unless it needs a lot of work, those are all just selling incredibly fast because we don't have enough, you know, everybody that wants one of those wants it to have a pool and there's just not enough stock of that here. And if you want to buy a home and put a pool in, you're on at least a six month waiting list and you're probably paying, you know, $75,000, $80,000 for a, a decent one anyway. Um, so those properties, you know, there's still a lot of competition for, we have a hard time picking them up. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's in that higher price range, but it doesn't have a pool and there's not some, you know, those, that's the stuff that's really sitting longer. Um, or, you know, just, we, there's a lot of stuff on the market, um, that's just building up. That's people that just have really unrealistic expectations. Um, we're not really, uh, we're not really down far from the peak at all. I think it's when I looked at global numbers, it looks like it's less than 2%. Um, I'd say in certain parts of town, we're definitely still up. Uh, maybe not from May of last year, but definitely year over year still up. Um, which is, you know, a lot of the stuff that I look at, I think that we're we're very much supported because we're a market that investors from all over the place come here. And, you know, I've 80% of my business is out of state investors and I'm not special in that regard. Like I think, it, you know, there's a lot of other people that are working with a, a lot of people from out of state. Um, you know, if you look at, uh, we just have a lot of, you know, from the demographics and jobs numbers and growth, there's a lot of reasons people come here. Um, and because of that, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we've been somewhat insulated price wise, although, you know, that's not great for all my investor clients that want to buy because their rates have doubled. Right. And so, yeah. um, it, it's, it's taken more, the only, the only thing that really just on the surface still works that I think that's somewhat traditional is just the short-term rentals, but it's, there's still the same type of comp competition, for the good ones that there was last year. I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of silly uh, how much competition there is for some of that product. Um, when you look at everything else that's going on. Yeah. So if you were to compare this market to say a Houston or a Dallas for the listeners out there that are, that are coming from outside of, of Texas and maybe even have cash that are looking at uh, just some basic stuff, to me, right. dig, dig deeper into how would you describe those markets and in, in just in basics? so um I don't really follow their you know those markets very closely anymore. Uh, I moved to San Antonio in 2018, um, expecting that. So I've moved a lot for you know I've been in real estate for a while and I've moved a lot to sort of chase markets. Um, and I picked San Antonio because I wanted a place that I, you know, I was already expecting a downturn. Now I had to wait a lot longer than I thought, you know, back then, but that's, that was where my mind was at. And I was trying to pick a place that I thought that was going to do very well for the next one. I, I have a school age child. And so for the first time I was trying to pick a place where I'd be for at least 12 years, um, which I've never done before. Um, and so 
uh, you know, was looking at Texas markets in, you know, really caught my attention because they have the growth and I think all of them do. Um, but San Antonio has, has historically been a very stable market. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty similar to Houston price wise. One of the things that, uh, kept me from going there was they are have a much stronger tie to petrochemical in, industry and so sometimes that's good for them i remember in in the last downturn um at a certain point they were still really booming because of oil prices were high uh you know it but so it's tied too much to that and, and i'm all, always really concerned about um downside more than upside uh, i really firmly believe if you stay in real estate long enough you're going to be wealthy and so my goal is to just always make sure I survive, right? And so when I pick a market, I want a growing market. And, you know, so San Antonio really hit that. But we, we're just very diversified. Like Dallas, um, you know, it's more, it's pricier than ours right now. Um, but what really kept that from being, you know, the one I decided on is they've done a great job over the last decade of really like making themselves, you know, they're trying to brand themselves as the second financial center for the country. Um, they've done a good job of picking up a lot of private equity and banking headquarters and, and large real estate company headquarters. And that's done great for them while times were good. We haven't seen what that does to them through a downturn. And so for me, I think that that's, and especially right now where our, where, where what we're experiencing is all tied to banking. I'm, I'm feeling really good about that decision, right? Like I, I don't know, yeah. you know, I don't know how that's going to shake out, but it's, it, to me, it's an added risk. Um, if we have any concentrated industry here in San Antonio, it's military and government. Um, but it really isn't, you know, we also have, um, you know, uh, USAA headquarters, which is a huge employer for us. We have several large schools now. You know, we've got UTSA, which is really large, but also um, several other schools. Uh, you know, there's just a, we have, a, there's the HEB headquarters. We just have a really, um, it's hard to pick one thing that if it went out of business or closed, that we're going to be in a lot of trouble um, or even one industry. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's one of the things that helped us. We're also San Antonio is still the most affordable rental market for tenants. Like when you, when you compare what our rents are compared to average household incomes, we're the most affordable of all the major Texas markets. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important because, you know, like I said, people come to Texas for rent growth and appreciation, right? Like your long term, you want you want those two things to grow. And so we're we're starting from a point where there's still plenty of room to move that. Um, you know, in our I, I should have mentioned this up front when you asked, you know, me to introduce myself, but PMI Birdie Properties, even though I'm an agent here, there's only five or six of us agents. We're primarily a property management company. We manage a thousand doors in town and we manage short-term rentals. But so like I get a lot of that, you know, insight into um, that's the whole reason I'm here, right? Is so that my clients sort of can work with them because I have a lot of out-of-state clients, but that's way off on tangent. But um, well, but I, so I, it really get to see how our rent, you know, the rental market here has still been incredibly strong where I know that that's, you know, there's a lot of places right now where you're seeing falling rents. Sorry, what, what were you going to say? And, uh, so, I'm sorry. So, so rents are staying stable and not falling, or as other markets. Yeah, I, I mean, at least across our management portfolio, we're actually still pushing rents in a lot of spots. Gotcha. Now we're not pushing them like we were last year. You know, last year there were a lot of places where you go from 1500 to 1750, which is a you know when when it was vacant, and that's a huge jump. You know, normally we're, we're 
doing much smaller ones. Um, we had a couple of properties in our portfolio that went backwards, but it was like really high end rentals. And for us, you know, anything over 2,500 is pretty high end. Like we had some that, that had rented for like 3750, which is an insane number here. And, uh, you know, had never rented over 3000 before that. And so when that went, came back up, I want to say that one, I don't know. It's, it was one that we talked about and I think it went for 34 or, you know, so that, so we, we had a couple that gave back. How big, how big so, was that? That one? Um, how many beds? I mean, it was like a five bedroom, three bath, okay. you know, uh, I think it had a pool, big piece of land. I, I don't get involved on the management side. Like I'm not doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, but it is like, I'm always talking to them one to figure out, you know, stuff like that. You know, I was, I was asking like, are we, you know, are any of our, are our rents going down and they're like, no, we're still pushing them. And then they're like, oh, well, we had this one, you know, and so so there's been some, but for the most part, we're actually still raising rents on renewals. Um, and in some parts of town, to, to a, a pretty surprising, we just had one that was um, a client of mine that he bought the property from me a couple of years ago. And so those ones I track a little better. Um, and it was one where, you know, we it was like a thousand ninety five less than two years ago when he bought it and we just put it back up for rent for 1495. I don't know if it rented yet. I don't, actually don't think it did. Um, but I mean, that's a huge move for, you know, where we used to have a lot of thousand dollar single family home rentals. Now, most of them are going to be 1500 or more. Yeah. So a couple, a couple things before I forget, I want to talk to you about your Twitter. Um, I want to talk to you about a short-term rental example. And I want to talk to you about another uh, situation about somebody scaling uh, in, in rentals in your market. So we got a little bit of time. So I want to try to pack, uh, pack this out. So okay. for, first thing, I just pulled up a random property listing. It's a 360 Lula May, San Antonio. It's on the Eastern side. It's okay. a five bed, three bath. It's listed at 350. I used AirDNA through in the address and it's spitting out a projection for about $52,000 of gross rents in short term. Mm -hmm. In your in your opinion, does that sound like that's in the ballpark? Is that high, low? Uh, I I can't picture where that address is. Um, but it is. Yeah, I mean, we're we're very. It does it have a pool or it doesn't have? A pool? It, it it does have a pool. It's a ranch. It does have a pool. Five bed, three bath, twenty two hundred square feet. It is. It is on the just inside uh, four ten, near Highway ten. On the east side. On the west, 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 on the side west, of, side. west side of 410. Oh, yeah. No, that I mean, just, that's just sounds, north. Of, yeah, just inside the, uh, the beltway. Um, that almost sounds low to me for the for the revenue number. You know, one of the things when we use air DNA, it doesn't do a good job of it doesn't differentiate between does it have a pool and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things we often have to do is go back and look and pull comps that actually have pools. And it makes a huge difference here. I mean, it's, you know. It, most of the time it's at least a hundred dollars difference in ADR, which is, you know, ends up being a big revenue difference. That sounds um, fairly reasonable, right? You said 50, 50 something thousand, 52, yeah. 52 revenue and 350,000 asking price. Um, you know, you know, normally I'd, I'd want closer to 70,000 asking price or 70,000 revenue for that asking price, unless we thought maybe we could go in and get a little bit of a discount or something. Um, or if maybe, you know, maybe they're throwing in some furniture or something like that. I, I want it to be a little bit better deal on the surface than that. Um, but, uh, 
you know, we're, we're really trying to do 20% revenue to price. Although if we get into the high teens, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, and for the most part, those seem to be working for our clients when the numbers get there. Uh, you know, it's, it's most of the time we're having to find ones that we need to do a little work in order to make those, you know, to find them like that. But I mean, that, yeah, it sounds perfectly reasonable. Um, but I'd want one that's a, a little better than that to be excited about it. So the part, part of the reason why I want to kind of bring up a couple of these examples in, in depth is because there may be a listener out there that needs, just wants to poke around and just check out the market and have maybe a conversation and, and dig deeper and see if something in this, in, the, in your market can make sense for their portfolio. Right. Right. Um, right. And so with your background on all the different facets that we've already talked about, I think it's important if, if someone's going to go purchase a rental property or build a portfolio, it doesn't matter if you're experienced or not experienced, uh, having a realtor that's that knows the game, knows what to look for, what not to look for in terms of the investment side, um, I think is important as, as opposed to a realtor who doesn't get that or isn't an investor themselves. Right. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, you know, I actually have a, a couple of very loyal clients that started off with agents that sold them terrible properties. Um, and I spend a lot of time discouraging people from buying certain properties because there's there's a lot of, there's a lot more things that especially with a short-term rental there's a lot more things that can go wrong than what's going to go right, right? Like you're not going to you're probably not beating your projections by a whole bunch, but you could fall way short if you you know if you pick a, a couple of things that go wrong. So I completely agree with you there. So one of the things that we talk about in this channel is I call this the stair step method and somebody may call something different. I don't know, but it's the concept of, okay, you purchase a property, uh, ideally, ideally, and the earlier part on part of your journey, we've got more time on your hands. And, mm -hmm. you know, I talk about this right now, especially because there there's data that came out, um, recently from national association of realtors that the average age of a first time home buyer is 36. And, you know, just a few years ago, it was in the late twenties, 28, whatever right. it was. And so it's a, it's a big difference. And again, this data, I think is uh, very recently, uh, centric re recent, uh, data. Um, and so what if somebody is 25, they can get into the game and buy a property in the low end, 150, 200, whatever that number ends up being. Well, mm -hmm. if they have their sights on building a portfolio of real estate and maybe even getting out of the rat race 20 years down the road or whatever it is, um, you know, they have a 10 year head start on that person that gets in at 36. Right. And imagine what can happen in a 10 year head start. And you know, the example that I put out there on um, some of my platforms and also uh, a podcast episode is I, I have this like very simple example where you buy a house for 150, live in it for two years, save up, buy the next one for 250, and then turn the old one to a rental. And then two more years, two more years later, two years later, save up again, buy that one for 350, old mm -hmm. one to rental, do it again at 450. And when you fast forward the clock 30 years, that's going to be a $3 million portfolio. And if you put 5% down on each one, that's 60 grand of down payment money. And after 10 years, you know, that's a, that's a portfolio that's worth 1.5, 1.8, depending on whatever assumption you make of appreciation or whatever. Right. Um, so in this market, do you think that somebody 25, um, right here, right now, if they had a, the long-term in, in mind that they could execute something along those lines and just stair stepping their way up? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, when I was talking about what was working, I, I failed to mention house hacking, but I've seen, I've had a couple of clients uh, that have done some interesting house hacks here in town uh, using where, um, you know, where they're buying a home and using it as a short-term rental. And I've got, I got two examples and hopefully I don't go over your time, but I, I think they're both kind I, of I have time. If you have time, I have time. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, you're good. Um, the, uh, the first one he bought, it was a, 
it was a big home and it was a stretch for his income to, to qualify for it. Um, but he used a low down payment program. So it wasn't a lot of money. Um, and it had like a, a little, uh, it wasn't exactly a pool house cause it was attached to the home, but it was like off the garage and like a little suite. And, uh, but it was, other than that, it was a big, nice home with a pool that most people would have just bought purely as a short-term rental, but he bought that he's living in that little, basically pool house, short-term rentaling the rest of it for really good money. Um, and, and you know, that that's an opportunity. I've actually had a couple clients do that over the last year where, um, they're living in some portion of the house and because of the way our short-term rental rules work here, they can do that and get away with it where they couldn't really rent it as two separate units on regular rental. Um, so that's, that's one where I think there's, there's a, you know, it takes more work and really digging and finding those properties. But that's one thing that I, I thought was pretty interesting. The other, I had um, a young lady buy a property for me where, uh, you know, it was her first home or her first property moving out of her home. And so, she actually goes back and stays with her parents or stays with her friends on the weekends. And she just rents it out Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday makes a ton of, you know, cause those are the big days anyway. Yeah. Um, and then she moves. So that was one of the more interesting short-term rental house hacks I saw. And I think, you know, again, she did a, um, you know, put very little down and, and used some sort of grant when she did it. And so it was, I mean, it was uh, very little out of her pocket. Um, she financed the furnishings and, uh, you know, just made it, uh, I, I, it was really interesting. It was her idea. I had never heard of doing it, doing that. Um, but even, you know, I think you could probably pick 10 weekends out of our year. And if they're the right time, you know, make a huge dent in your mortgage and, and go and do that. And, you know, then you already have it set up to move into the next one. So I, I definitely think there's an opportunity here. Um, it takes a little more creativity, right? Cause I think if you just bought a home today, um, if I wouldn't be able to count on two years from now, moving out and renting it as a traditional rental, maybe if we have more rent growth and interest rates go down and they refinance, but I really don't like people, you know, buying something for a maybe, um, now if it's a home that they're happy to live in for five years before they move out and rent it because something went wrong and rates didn't go down or rents didn't go up, you know, as long as they can afford it long run, um, I still think you're better off getting in now than, than just waiting um, some, you know, I, I think people have been talking about six months from now for the last three years. Um, and, you know, it's something that I actually heard a lot in the, you know, 2007, eight, nine, 10 timeframe. Um, you know, I remember at that point in time, everybody was like, oh, this is going to be all over in six months. Like for some reason, that's like a magic number for people, right? You'll hear that more than anything. I just want to wait six months and then it's going to be the time. And I think, especially if it's a home that you can that you can afford and you're, you're going to move into it and then move out and do something with it. Um, it's tough to get really hurt that way. Yeah. What about multifamily properties? Um, our multifamily, so our multifamily still has a ton of competition on the buy side. Um, I think, again, if, if you're going to house hack, you're going to move into, um, you know, maybe some of our older stock, you know, you can make it, you're definitely not cash flowing. Uh, you, you're probably going to be able to do it and lower your monthly expenses, um, especially if you know if you move into one and, and rent out the others. Um, but it is something that uh, you know, as a pure investment today, it's tough to buy multifamilies, you know, with with an investment loan and really make them work. Uh, you know, the ones that I see still buying are are mostly you know either very low leverage or they're using cash, uh, but 
inexplicably they're still really you know they're still selling well you know i mean they're we haven't seen really much softness at all although our um our inventory for that has come back up to just about where it was um pre-covid so that that inventory has come back where it was uh it was down quite a bit a year ago and now we've it's slowly coming back but a lot of it i think it's building back as sort of like the kind of trash properties that have just been sitting there. Like we just have a lot that have been sitting on the market a long time. And the stuff that is even close to being priced well um, and is in good condition is going quickly still. Yeah. And that's the thing is, yeah, you have the properties that just sit out there for ages and just no one, they don't budge on price and they just sit there. And it's like, what what's your plan? What's your goal? It's just going to sit there. No one, you're not going to budge on anything. Right. No one's going to scoop it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, we, we try, like, you know, we put out a lot of low offers on stuff like that. And so, you know, so it, sometimes they work, right? Like, I mean, so, I've been surprised at some of the discounts that we've been able to get on properties, uh, you know, over the last six or eight months. Um, but they're certainly not discounts in the asking prices, right? Like you just have to be out there poking a lot of the sellers yeah. and seeing who's actually going to give you something. So from a, a social media standpoint, you know, you mentioned being active on Twitter and one of the things that I've talked about a lot is that on the mortgage side of things, I mean, social media is terrible because people in our industry are just talking about rates and market updates and blah, blah. It's all the same. It's all the same shit. And so like, right. you're not doing anything to differentiate yourself. Um, but on the real estate side of things, it's a little bit of a different game because on your traditional social media, maybe Instagram, maybe Facebook, you know, you have something to be able to show somebody. Everyone wants to see the beautiful house and the pool right. and the whatever. So it's a little bit of a different game. Um, and even in one of my, um, uh, my presentations talking about this in, in front of realtors and, and lenders, I actually had a, um, an example where I said, Hey, type in mortgage into your search on Instagram. And like every single person on the top of, of the, of that search, we're all realtors. There's no mortgage people on top. Um, oh, interesting. but that that's for a different, different part of the, of the conversation. Um, when we talk about Twitter, you're out there active, you've got a good following Pe people are engaging good, good engagement on, on there. Um, what advice or what, what's your plan? What's your, what's your purpose out there um, with, with your game? So, uh, and this is, this is going to sound sort of terrible. Um, so, but right. But, you know, I said, I, I really focus on one at a time um, before I got more focused on Twitter last year, I was posting mostly on bigger pockets. Um, I am, uh, I got to a point where I got too many leads and too much outreach from there that I couldn't handle it all. And I, don't, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm actually, um, I have a chronic disease. So I don't work crazy hours like a lot of people do in this industry. Um, and so I really just got to a point where I had more leads than I could handle. So I stopped posting, looking for more business and um, tried to start recruiting a couple of agents, uh, which I have since done. Um, and I still actually, that's my main, my main focus right now is to pick up a couple more agents because we still get, you know, a lot of investors coming in. Um, and I, so I switched over to Twitter. I had always had a Twitter account, but I hadn't used it much. Um, I had no luck trying to recruit agents from bigger pockets. And I think it's because it's a place where all the agents that are on there, they already sort of know the investment business. I mean, that's why they're there, or at least, uh, you know, they think they do a lot. <laughs> that's terrible. But, um, but uh, you know, I wanted to get a couple that I trained uh, trained in the investment side, looking at deals the way I do, which is, uh, I think, with a, a little bit more of a skeptical lens. Um, and so that was actually my motivation when I switched over to Twitter. 
Um, I didn't really think I'd get a ton of business from it. I, I don't know why. It, it just never seemed like the spot to do it. Um, but there's a lot of times throughout the day where I'm in between phone calls or sitting in the car waiting for something. You know, I maybe drove to a property and I'm waiting. And so I, I am on there quite a bit. And uh, I just started getting business from it again. And I was like, oh, well, that, that's sort of interesting. And so, um, you know, I don't have a great plan or a goal or uh, it's, you know, it started off more than anything as a, as a procrastination tool while I'm sitting there. And um, I really like to meet local, you know, people that are local and, you know, go, uh, go get an ice cream or a coffee or something. And there's an ice cream place right across from my house that I love. Um, you know, but it is, uh, I don't have some great, amazing plan, but I've, I've been able to grow pretty fast, really just, you know, trying to answer questions. Honestly, I, you know, you mentioned, I like to call people. I, I do sometimes, I think there's a lot of misinformation. Um, I hate to see people buy stuff that they're going to lose money on. And it's not like I've never sold a deal that didn't, you know, that didn't work out exactly. Um, you know, there's there's a fourplex or two that I can think of that didn't didn't go as well as I had hoped for somebody. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much trying to protect people's downside. And so when you see people out there just, you know, really uh, pitching the unicorns and rainbows, uh, you know, I, don't, I just don't like to see that. Um, but, yeah, if I'm, you know, I end up making a lot of good connections, you know, other investors, um, other agents, just random business people in town. And, and you know, one of the benefits I think for Twitter, you know, doing any sort of location specific stuff is really difficult. But, you know, I'm in a market where people invest from all over the country and all over the world, really, and come and buy here. And so that doesn't matter to me that I can't, you know, I, I can't like target a local group like you could on Facebook or something like that. Um, but yeah, so honestly, it's it's a lot of fun and it's not I don't really have a great agenda, but it's, uh, you know, I I. I honestly think like if you're out there talking about real estate, sharing your knowledge, um, I'm really just about, you know, I, people being attracted to that and, and coming and wanting to work with me. You know, I'm never I'm not somebody that's in people's DMs constantly or, you know, I, I don't do any cold calls or spam or anything like that. I, I think that the more you're just out there, you know, there's people on Twitter all the time asking questions about real estate. And I try to answer honestly or, you know, um, really, I like to. I do I do spend a lot of time like trying to tell people, you know, you should hire an attorney to look at that. Now, you know, especially like creative finance options and stuff. I know a lot of retweet. They, you know, they don't really like that. But um, I don't know. It's that, that's unfortunately. I, I guess my plan is I don't really have a good plan, um, but I just put the time in regularly. So post posting versus engaging with other people, answering questions. Like what what percentage would you say you spend? You know, let's just say number of posts. You know. Yeah. Post versus um, I, replies. I mean, if I post once a day, that's a lot. For, you know, I, I'm probably post once or twice a day that I, where I'm actually making a post. But I, I mean, I would guess I reply to 30 or 40 people every day. I mean, I do. I'm, I'm much more heavily in the replies. Um, I did, you know, talking about being a little bit intentional. I joined a Twitter gang. I don't I don't know what they call them. Like, you know, but like it's a group of people that talk to each other on um I had to download the app. I can't think of oh, Telegram. Is. Yeah, on Telegram. You know, so it's a little group on there. We've got like six or seven people that post and then try to promote each other. Um, I don't know. I've always been sort of suspect of that, but uh, they were people that are they're all posting stuff that I'm like, oh, it's legitimate, you know, real estate people. 
Um, and so they'll, you know, in that group, we try to post post one that people share once a day. So that's got me to actually try to make a post every day. But um, I'm definitely the the stereotypical reply guy where I'm just like jumping on people's stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know, I just find I find that I, I'm not great at just like coming up with something. And um, especially because, you know, I, you get the ideas when you're dealing with a deal, but then I have to save them because I don't want to put my deal out there until it's done. Right. Like, I, yeah, uh, it is surprising to see how many people are actually just out there listening. I have a client that, uh, you know, I've worked with for a long time and I didn't realize like he, you know, he's been following me on there and just, he just never says anything, you know, and, uh, glad I never brought up any of his deals and, you know, any sort of negative light, but uh, I'm sure there are others out there. Um, any accounts that you would say like, Hey, this person's out there really putting on some good, some good content. In, in the space, yeah, I, I wish I had one off the top of my head, but I just don't. I mean, I you know I, I follow a ton of people. Um, who who, 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 do you, like, who do you have the most fun engaging with? Yeah, so um, I don't know. Like, um, putting on the spot here. That yeah, there's there's a couple of people that do some really good um, hard money content. Um, one of them is Drew, and I don't know his handle. This is terrible. I don't know anybody's. I, uh, I, I is, remember is, is everybody. Drew is, is he the guy that's uh, in Nebraska? That's like a, 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 a university student that does like rentals and stuff like that. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, I think his name is Drew, but that so he's somebody that uh, like he's like the college landlord. He's somebody. Yeah, he's actually in my gang. Just so you know, no he's, shit. Full disclosure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but um, but no, it's a. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's like um, anyway. I don't know anybody's handle. I I remember them all by their picture. Okay. Um, and so then I get really thrown off when like people change their picture. So don't ever change your picture, please. Um, that's why like I always you know when I try to whenever I'm doing stuff like this wear the same shirt that I have in my profile picture. It's getting cool. pretty worn out now. The same hat too. So you know I want people to actually recognize me. But um, I mean I, I thought you just put that. like masking tape on that shirt for for a second there, but it's okay. <laughs> Um, you mentioned ice cream. So I'm an ice cream kind of sore. Um, oh yeah. So what's your, what's your go-to like, what, so what type a, of thing do you get? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's a, it's a little place called Be Nice cream. That's on, in, on Broadway in San Antonio. It's right across from where I live and they have, um, she makes it all there. She's got a bunch of different flavors, but she does a lot of different honey flavored ice creams, um, where she like mm. cooks the honey and it's almost like caramel. Like it's a, uh, uh, and it's, so it's really good. And then she does like a honey dust on top where she makes like a honey candy and grinds it and puts it on top. Um, so I like a lot of her honey flavored ones. And then usually I'm like a mint chip guy at like a regular place, but, uh, because of like the real freshness of it, her strawberry is really good too. So like I'll eat strawberry okay. ice cream. Um, but yeah, normally like my go-to at like a chain is going to be mint chip. Very cool. Very cool. What about your, um, an attorney recommendation? Would you, would you want to rec uh, put a name out there that for somebody that, you know, seller financing, that kind of stuff? Do you want to throw so, it? Yes or no? I mean, I really like my attorney here in town. Uh, so, you know, I think he makes sense for someone local. His name's Michael V. Malone. I recommend him to all kinds of people. So I don't, I don't mind putting him out there. He is a uh, solo practitioner. So, you know, uh, I honestly think that there's been times where I've referred too many people to him and gotten him a bit, a bit busy, but I, I don't know that that's actually the case, but it, it's felt like it on occasion. I really like him. I use him for um, just for real estate related stuff, but um, 
you know, I, because I'm a former attorney, I'm pretty picky with attorneys. And I feel like you can get someone, uh, you know, it's kind of just like contractors, right? You can get someone who's really good or really cheap or really fast. And I, you know, you can pick two, right? Like affordable or good. But, and um, I feel like he is, uh, is very affordable for how knowledgeable he is. He's real knowledgeable. Um, and the speed is just, you have to work on his schedule, right? So like I have, I have them set up my L, you know, I always have an open LLC series waiting for the next deal instead of having him try to jump on ones, you know, that's that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I like him a lot. So I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but two, two more questions for you. All right. So for a first time home buyer right now, what's the biggest mistake or biggest advice that you would try to pass on to that person navigating it in your market? Yeah. And so and again, like I really only work with investors. So the only time I'm working with like first time home buyers, like that are a true, you know, like that can use those programs is if they're house hacking. Um, and honestly, I think it makes sense for most first time home buyers, right? Like I think it makes sense to buy a home. My biggest thing is I want it to be something that you can easily afford, right? Like don't just say, okay, my pre-approval is X, that's my budget. Like for some people that's going to be true, but for some people that, you know, depending on what their lifestyle is like, they need to have that you know pre-approval number minus another 20 percent for that to be a property that makes sense for them right um and so that that's the biggest thing is like you know you have a long time to get into the dream home and i think that it makes sense to start with something i you know i my very first one was a duplex in a in a very rental heavy area and you know it really set me up to move out of that and rent it out and i think it doesn't have to be multifamily, but to buy something with an eye towards, can I rent this out when I move instead of trying to have to sell it? I think just makes more sense. Uh, I think in the long run, you're going to be much better off if you do that than if you, you know, just pick the home that is you, you just, you know, that you're emotionally drawn to. I think doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense. And then that is same... why I don't work with normal home buyers and only investors because I I don't I have a very hard time with the emotional side of the business, and so I just try to avoid that altogether. I mean, that, that makes sense. S same question for an investor locally or coming from out of state. What, what type of advice would you give to them in this uh, market right now? Today, I think you're only getting a deal if you make a lot of offers. Um, you know, I think that, you know, prices are tough, right? And people aren't moving them down, but there are panicked sellers out there who are giving people good deals. You just have to find them. Um, and so, you know, one, you have to have a model that's working. And the biggest one that I see is short-term rentals right now. But even in that model, you need to be out there making offers regularly if you really want a good deal. And and they're happening. I mean, people are giving big concessions or, you know, big price drops if it's if it's a property that's sat for a little bit. And it, but it's it's a it's a market where it takes some work and you can't be afraid to come in with low offers. Cool. Um, any other thoughts, advice that you want to throw out there? Um, I, I would, you know, the one thing I think is really important. There's a lot of people pushing a lot of different creative financing deals and I, I love them. Like my first 14 units, I put $0 down, you know, first I bought a duplex, then a single family home, then 10 units, then another single family home, stack those all up without putting a single dollar in down payment. Um, so I'm, I'm for creative financing, but I wouldn't do it without talking to your CPA and your attorney first, because there's a lot of people putting out what I think is just wrong info. I actually know more than one person that went to jail 
after the last downturn because of one of them was someone who was pitching their course at the local REI on, you know, how to work with private lenders. And, and uh, you, you know, there's just so many ways you can get in trouble. Um, and what works in one state might not work somewhere else. And so I think, you know, I just wouldn't do, if your deal, if you can't afford to pay an attorney to look at your deal and to have your CPA check your deal, it's not a good enough deal, right? Like, so uh, I, I'd be, you know, just encourage people to be really careful with a lot of the creative, you know, ways of buying stuff. Um, because a lot of people are just down, you know, downplaying the risky, you know, the risks. And I don't think a lot of it's intentional. I think people don't really understand that maybe a deal that works for them and is structured right for their state might not fly in another state. I mean, there's a lot of state level consumer protection rules around this stuff that uh, you could find out that you, you know, you've been paying on. I actually knew someone that this happened to. They had been paying on a contract for deed for years and it turned out that they didn't uh they didn't have the you know they, it wasn't enforceable when they got to their last payment you know uh, and it was just they had used some form that was just just like didn't work where they were gotcha do you do you feel like this is a, an opportunity a better opportunity right now to go find a seller financing deal creative deal than two years ago well, absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, if, if properties are sitting on the market longer, I mean, there's there's definitely more opportunity to do it. Um, and I think it's a perfectly good thing to do. I think it just has to be done. You know, I just think you have to have proper counsel and I think you should do it before you go out. You know, there's a lot. Of, I just was talking to a young investor the other day and they're just out there making offers and they have like this template email they want you to pass along that more than one of them has had the same one. So there's like somebody out there, you know, selling this system. And it's like, uh, I'm, I'm harping on the, on the, you know, be careful and don't, you know, the negative side of it. But yeah, I, I do think there's opportunities to do these deals today. Um, me personally, I'd focus most on sellers that have a completely free and clear property. Um, so you're not worrying about, uh, you know, dealing with the existing mortgage in any way. Um, not that there's not ways to do that, but I think it's, it's the cleanest way. And I think a surprising number of people own properties free and clear. Um, and so, you know, if there's stuff that's sitting on the market and, uh, yeah, I think some of those sellers are going to be open to, to those deals. Cool. All right. Last thing. Uh, what's one goal you're trying to be able to accomplish this year? Okay. Uh, I want to recruit two more agents. Two more agents. Um, yeah, I've, I've got just two on my team. I want two more. Uh, we definitely get a lot more people coming to us for help than we're, you know, than we're really able to. Um, and so, uh, yeah, two, two more agents, I think, would round out my team perfectly. Um, people that this is what makes it really tough is I, I talk to a lot of agents. I think you can tell from talking to me that I, I really my biggest concern is the downside of real estate. Right. And trying to protect that. And it's hard to find agents with that same outlook. Right. Because a lot of times that means I'm killing a deal that could pay me a commission. Right. And it's uh, and I think that that's and it's not that I'm just like so selfless or something. I, I honestly believe that killing those deals early on, making sure that your clients buy a good deal is what's going to get you the good deal. You know, get the get those clients. More than 50% of my business is repeat business. That would never happen if I'm just selling them any old deal that, you know, that comes across. And so um, trying to find, you know, agents that, uh, you know, are, are willing to really look at 
you know, is this a good deal for the client first? Um, has been surprisingly hard. The, the two that I have are both excellent. Um, one of them is on Twitter, and that should have been my recommendation. You should follow her too. Or it's t- uh, Tiffany Figueroa. Um, but I don't actually Can you spell know the last name. Is. Can you spell uh, the last F-I-G-U-E-R-O-A, name? F I G U E R O A, I believe. Um, that okay, okay. That sounds uh, right. It's, it's like uh, T figures RE or something like that is her handle, maybe. Um, but yeah, no. So her and another agent, and they're both very good about look, you know, looking out for clients in the same way I like to. Um, I'd like to find two more. It is it's surprisingly tough. Um, you know, a lot of people really just have that short term outlook of I just want you to, you know, you like this deal, let's buy it, right? And not like let's go through and see are there reasons maybe we should find a different. Cool. Yeah. Um, from a, a 2023 standpoint, I mean, who knows what the hell is going to happen this year? A lot, a lot of things are probably going to change or maybe not. I don't know. Rates up or down market prices up or down, but people are still buying and selling. People are right. still doing stuff. Just got to find the right deal for you. Um, and then later in the year, uh, we'll have to catch back up with you again, or, or maybe whenever and uh, check it on the market, check on your, on your goal and, see what else is going on in your world. But yeah, th- thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Um, a lot of information, a lot of, of, of good stuff to be able to, to, for listeners to carry with them as they are navigating these markets. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast. If you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com, strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.